0: This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good
1: morning. I'm
0: a little unwell this morning, so please excuse me if it's not a very long talk. just uh, yesterday I was uh, looking at uh, Facebook and uh, Facebook acquaintance who was also a um, practitioner was um,
1: uh, remarking on um, how uh, I guess just that afternoon
0: uh, she had been um maybe uh, out near her home and i think there's some there's a nice rural area there so she was out in the woods and she was uh discussing about how she she uh um, just kind of sat down somewhere and she wasn't particularly trying to meditate but um her Her uh, mental process became very slow, so that there were hardly, you know, very few thoughts. She was just kind of hanging out, enjoying the uh, evidently pleasant weather, wherever she was. And...
1: uh, uh,
0: I, uh, I was familiar with what she was describing, but I, I thought that some people reading this might come to the conclusion that it was a result of, uh, you know, extreme accomplishment in meditative practice. And, I was going to make a comment on on the Facebook page and I thought, nah, I'll probably start some flame war, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, This this phenomenon is um, accessible to anybody. So it's not just because this person's an experienced meditator. What is necessary basically is just the willingness not to interfere with whatever is arising in the moment. And you might say, well, isn't that what we do in Zazen? It's like, well, yes. Um, usually under kind of formal circumstances, and the formal circumstances are kind of, they're a little bit of a part of, they are a part of Zazen practice. The, uh, the formality, uh, for instance, uh, setting like this um, is, a, is a, a useful kind of uh counterbalance to the fact that the instructions for our way of practice are rather brief and not very detailed and they're that's by design and uh unless you're fairly experienced if you have, on the one hand, brief instructions that are not detailed, and also a very kind of easy, unstructured environment. It might just turn into, you know, sleep or daydreaming, which is not the same thing at all. So therefore, the environment is a little bit structured. Have a certain way of moving and sitting and so forth. It's a, a balance. But if you're out in the woods, just hanging out, for instance, um, uh, to uh, accept completely each moment of the body-mind as it is, uh, is a way of acknowledging and supporting the um, ability of the mind to simply settle itself. We often talk about that. We don't say, you have to settle your mind. That being a uh, misleading instruction. So we do say, well, just allow the mind to settle. And it will. And if the environment is, in, in addition, very you know, relaxed and kind of welcoming, and you're out there and the birds are singing and animals are strolling by and so forth.
1: Uh,
0: This sense of the uh, processes of the body-mind slowing and moving in this very easy rhythm without our involvement, without any deliberate manipulation is quite accessible to anyone. So if you hear about or read something like that, don't don't be fooled into thinking, oh, I can't do that. My mind's too busy. I'm always thinking, set aside those um, a priori conclusions, set them aside and uh, allow the the deep currents of the body-mind to manifest themselves and also uh you might be tempted to start like kind of counting okay well how many thoughts am i having and is it any less than usual but you can set that aside too because that means you don't you know trust your
1: own body mind if you're having to
0: bring criteria to test your experience uh that's not conducive to being completely relaxed and at home and allowing the rise and fall to occur naturally. So this is again, not very different from our practice, but the degree of formality is different. And as I've told you before, when I was in Japan, I was uh, at first uh, surprised at how much time the uh, professionals over there spent adjusting the level of formality. Sometimes in the middle of a ceremony, there'd be some adjustment, which is quite quite interesting. So for our, in our particular way, the level of formality is a quite important factor. And it can be at, at everywhere from extremely formal to like hardly formal at all and uh, with experience, one can determine what's appropriate for a particular circumstance. When we got around to doing the the Bodhidharma Memorial the beginning of November, uh, when I was there, that was quite formal. And we went over and over that that, that uh, ceremony and there were uh, six of us Westerners and they asked us to participate. And each of, each of us had, uh, a queue, which uh, when the queue happened, we were to kind of approach the altar in this very peculiar pattern of footsteps. And I forget oh, to do an elaborate bow or maybe make an offering or something like that. I don't recall. But that was very formal. And other times it wasn't formal at all. They invited us to go and chat with the little old abbot, who's a very sweet guy. And uh, even though it was in the abbot's room, uh, it was very informal and he was very relaxed. And so were we, gave us tea and passed around a bowl of little arare crackers. So it was nice to be able to experience all these different levels of formality and how they can interact with the humans who are present. So maybe the sun will be out today, and you you can go and sit in your yard or the park or something, and just let things be, and uh, whatever uh, degree, if you like, of uh, decrease in activity you notice, just uh, you know accept that and maybe be grateful. The more you uh, cultivate that, or allow that to be cultivated, uh, I think the more you'll appreciate the, the body mind's own capacity to be at rest. This is quite, quite helpful quite good for our health too, especially in, in times when things are a little tense, as they've been for seemingly forever.
1: And maybe again, of course, so.
0: So this is a, um, you might say,
1: uh, if, if there are uh,
0: three um, kind of uh, supporting principles to the bodhisattva path, Uh, They are said to be uh, uh, karuna, which is compassion, bodhicitta, which is the thought of enlightenment, and prajna, which is wisdom. Uh, So the bodhisattva brings all three of these to bear in following the path uh, towards saving all beings and uh, what I just said about how you can sit, sit out in the woods and uh, you know let, let nature support you
1: um, that could be it uh, could be one
0: little uh, bit little piece of prajna to add to the corpus of wisdom that is accumulating for us at all times. Bodhicitta you know about, I think. You know about Bodhicitta, yes. Just the uh, emotion. Oh, Shakyamuni Buddha discovered that there is such a thing as awakening. And uh, I will uh, commit myself to the path of awakening for the sake of all sentient beings, it's Bodhicitta. The karuna compassion, of course, is, as I, I tend to express it, is allowing our body-mind to respond to feel and respond to the sufferings of other beings. And maybe sometimes
1: you you can do something. Not always, but sometimes. So these are these three principles
0: uh, supporting the bodhisattva path. Um, Here's another little piece of wisdom,
1: courtesy of our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Um, the The teaching is that,
0: uh, uh, of course, we hear this in various ways as we. Uh, follow a Buddhist path. But the the teaching is that there is no uh, separate sovereign self. Basically, this is a way of expressing a Buddha's profound insight. Uh, And maybe more explicitly, Shakyamuni taught that Another way of saying that is, there is no separate sovereign self to be found. There's no separate sovereign self to be found. And if there is no separate sovereign self to be found, it can't be separate or sovereign.
1: It's a very simple formula.
0: But... Um, this is you know, again a kind of a uh, nugget of Prajna wisdom, based on Shakyamuni's own insight, and uh, formulating the insight in, in that way or in other ways is quite useful to to help uh, shape our thinking, uh, such that uh, we are in a way. Preparing our body-mind for that same insight. To, to have a little formula like that, that we bring up and consider from time to time is a good exercise. If there is no separate sovereign self to be found, it cannot be a separate sovereign self. Anything worthy of being a separate sovereign self will have certain qualities. One of them is not. You can't find it. That just doesn't make sense.
1: And if it's not
0: separate or not sovereign, then it is not the way we usually think about our, our person. The assumption we make is exactly that Oh uh, yeah. Uh, uh, if, if someone, if we stop someone on the street and try to engage them in a conversation about the self, probably they will, uh, you know, unless they've had some insight of their own or or are familiar with Buddhist teaching, they'll probably feel like saying, "Well, yeah, I'm here. What do you mean, there I am, self?" And then depending on the circumstances, you might say, well, what are some of the qualities of that creature, whatever it is, that self? And uh, usually very quickly, the uh, conversation falters. (laughs) After citing a couple of things, people run out of stuff to say and realize, well, I can't really say much about it, but I know it's there. It's like, oh, okay so that's kind of fun this is this is another way that uh, wisdom can enter the, the life stream uh, of all of all of you bodhisattvas who have entered upon that path and are cultivating uh compassion and um thought of enlightenment and uh Transcendent wisdom. And of course, the uh, essential practice of transcendent wisdom is called Zazen. Uh, if, um, if we think that uh, at some point, we're going to figure out how to transcend, then I think we're going to be frustrated. Uh, Transcendent wisdom is not figurable. Uh, Maybe some kinds of wisdom are, and that's okay, but then they're not transcendent wisdom. Transcendent wisdom is outside of the realm
1: of figuring this or that.
0: And our practice embodies that uh, truth, if you like. Maybe we can get away, at least in here, maybe we can get away with calling that a, a truth. And that's, of course, at the heart of that um, the famous story about the sixth ancestor, Nanyang Gui and sorry, Dajang Gui Nong, and um, uh, his, uh, his one of his two great disciples, Nanyue Huairang. and uh, you you all know that story where Nanyue comes to see Hui Nan, sixth ancestor, and um, and uh, they're having a little visit and. Wenang asks him, where, where are you uh, coming from? And Nanyui uh, says, I forget, you know, down south or up north or something. And the sixth ancestor asks him, what is it that thus comes? Which, is, of course, is a play on
1: Tathagata, the thus come one. And Nanyue uh, uh, says, well, if, uh, if I say it's this or it's that, it misses the point. And Nanyue uh, says, oh, so uh, practice and realization have nothing to do with it? And Nanyue says, anybody remember? No? Nanyue
0: says, um, uh, I don't say uh, practice and, and realization have nothing to do with it, but
1: it can't be defiled.
0: And uh, nun thought that was pretty good. He didn't say that, but he thought it was pretty good. And Nanyue hung around for like 13 years.
1: So Nanyue was off to a good start and he hung around for 13 years. It's a pretty good spirit. And this uh, can't be
0: defiled. this at the heart of our zazen practice also. And if you really trust that, then uh, there's not so much struggle in our practice, you know This
1: uh, you know, teeth gritting,
0: brow furrowing, headache inducing, cramp inducing approach to practice can relax. If uh, that trust is very wholehearted. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's, there's trust. There's also a little corner that's being kept away from that and spying on the trust and seeing how's that going? Is that working all right? And that's,
1: that's not really wholehearted.
0: There's this, uh, I don't remember, I don't know exactly when this, this um, idea arose in the Jewish world. Um, no, I can't remember uh, who, who first came up with this notion, but someone uh, argued that the reason the Messiah was not here was because we're not wholehearted.
1: And that's probably true, too.
0: You can try that one out on your Jewish friends and see if they smile or hit you. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, I'm glad we have a little digital presence here, otherwise, huh? More. Oh, more, oh, cool. Okay, better yet. Uh, sometimes the we have so many more seats than we need in here. It feels a little lonely, but oh, this, uh, this added way of reaching other beings is, uh, is quite, uh, quite grateful for. And even occasionally, four-footed beings. Uh, maybe there's a question or comment today. Hukai-san.
2: Uh, thank you for your talk. Um, what do you think about these people like um, Eckhart Tolle and Shante, like Shante was walking around across his living room and suddenly had some sort of awakening or Eckhart Tolle who I think was sitting on a bench and I mean I'm not and, it uh, yeah, it, it seems like there's an element of luck sometimes Byron for Katie,
0: this like attic lying on the floor
2: yeah Byron Katie those are another one I was thinking of I mean these are all people who aren't necessarily Buddhist but they have supposedly some sort of awakening insight yeah so I, I don't know. It just seems like some, like all these causes and conditions need to come together. And I mean, maybe even the Buddha, like at some point he just had enough food. And then he sat there and the, like, maybe it just, I don't know. Maybe anyway. He's... do you have
0: <laughs>
2: What? Maybe he just it... sat there. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, but when, when you look at him though, I mean, he like really worked at it for like six years. Right. And then suddenly, I mean, so.
0: And okay. Wait, some of that was like a waste of time. Like all that stuff where I starved myself, that was a waste of time. And all that stuff hanging out in the palace with those girls, waste of time. Okay. Maybe I'll just sit here, free, <laughs> and see what happens. And you Okay. Know, version of lying on the attic floor. Of course, uh, the Buddhists, I mean, especially the Tibetans would say, oh, those, you know, Eckhart Tolle and those guys, they've been practicing for eons. Mm -hmm. even if they weren't, they didn't didn't dress like a Buddhist or, you know, that's what it's based on. And if it's genuine insight, genuine insight is always like the same, you might say. And it it is quite extraordinarily often that uh, those in, in, the human realm who speak of, you know, something transcendent often sound so much like each other. And another factor is they often upset some of the other people around them. <laughs> like, well, wait a minute, that's not what it says in this book. Let's burn you, you know. And they do sometimes. Yes. Tom. So uh, speaking of this, uh, it's sort of like I feel kind of commodification of Buddhist teaching. Yeah. Right. Kind of packaging. they yeah, in mean, business too. I mean, I'm not trying to judge them, but right as Then, teacher in our circle, our teaching is different, right? I mean, you don't charge people, no, right? We're grateful, yeah, for (laughs) free. We don't charge people, but people pay them to, so it's like multitudes going on. But one can have multitudes in different teachings, yeah. Like, why practicing then? Then you follow iron, whoever, right? Yeah, can mind can do that, yeah they're too busy yeah yeah well I I don't know but I I imagine maybe this isn't true but I imagine that some of those um I don't know if it's right to call them self-awakened people yeah. I don't know if that's quite right or if it's just well you know their their teacher teachers are not visible to us mm-hmm. but in any case Maybe, you know, at some point they just started talking and some other people came and said, uh, do you have enough money for groceries? Here's some money and started giving the money. And that just turned into this thing where, where people were giving the money, but they never actually asked for it. That's also possible. I don't know if that's how it is or if they actually set up a, well, I think none of them actually set up a, like a business entity. Someone else always does that. And um, maybe some of those folks are profiting pretty well from it too, you know, this is capitalism for you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to think. Um, You know, we just sort of stand around sheepishly with our little handout and hope that somebody will put something in it. Mm -hmm. And that works fairly well, you know, until something expensive breaks and then it doesn't work that well. Mm -hmm. And we have to like stick the hand out farther and say, help us please so so you don't believe one can have that kind of practice and this kind of practice for the mind when you say that kind of practice yeah. you mean like uh Eckhart Tolle and those, those guys and stuff like that well uh what mm-hmm. like she Byron Katie has the, this she's has something she calls the work mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure what that is except it sounds like yeah. Eckhart Tolle or Adyashanti, it sounds kind of like, you know, it has to do with wholeheartedly trusting the present moment and this body mind. Right? That's kind of the work. And that sounds a lot like what we do.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so maybe that's not an accident. But maybe there are people who relate to this attractive older woman and they wouldn't relate to me, or they relate to Eckhart Tolle, this little European guy, or Adyashanti, who's very you are handsome and kind of elegant, you know? And, and, and different people respond, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yes. It sounds like, you know, these are all just different channels of places where, you know, someone would resonate with the presentation of the teacher or the teachings. Right. And it's just calling to mind with yoga a lot of people come to yoga for physical fitness yes. or stress relief or right. you know, to whatever reason that is more uh to say graspable. Mm-hmm. And yet as they practice they start finding that the practice is actually affecting, you know, the body mind yeah. and not and sure the body but mm-hmm. but some other
1: You know,
0: so the way it's different gateways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A friend of mine um, who's who's pretty pretty accomplished in yoga um, is also tends to be quite cynical and dismissive of spirituality. And then one day uh, he was in yoga class and um, the teacher periodically would ask him to demonstrate something. I think the teacher, you know, was pointing at a leg or something and said, oh, look, there's a mind in there. And uh, he thought, whoa, really? <laughs> and that was a big change for him. He wasn't so cynical anymore after that. So, so it goes. Um, san did you finish your question?
2: Um. I
0: noticed we kind of zinged away from you there.
2: I think so. Um, sorry. Um, I get, Yeah, I guess so. I just feel like I wonder if there's a little bit of of luck. Like I get it. Like being outside, it relaxed. It's kind of like the. I I guess I see it as the Zen and the archery. Like you can't let go of the the bow, but the bow has to. Like it's a letting go. I think that has to happen, but you can't force it. But it anyway. That's all. I don't know. Maybe it's a comment more than a question.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, uh, the person who was, who was commenting on Facebook, uh, she didn't present this as like some insight, it just like, okay. kind of familiar s- state. Just, it wasn't exactly a state, but a way of experiencing the world and oneself. It was quite pleasant, and easy. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I don't, I don't want real conversant with this person's, um, uh, lineage and so forth. But anyway, she was just kind of presenting it as like uh, this really nice afternoon that happened. And um, so it was not presented in the context of, I had this blinding insight. It was just, this is how the mind, mind, the body mind can work if we let it, right? And that requires some trust and patience and the willingness not to like constantly try to keep track of, how's this going? Am I better today than I was yesterday? And that's really, that's that's a habit that's easy to get into. And uh, it's, it's good if we can let that go. And that's part of this wholeheartedness. Thank you. David. Uh, just one brief comment on that. It, it sounds like maybe instead of luck, it's more like what like a Christian mystic would regard as grace. Yeah. This experience, it, maybe it comes to you, maybe it doesn't. When it does, it's through grace yeah. that it occurs. And that's yeah. just my... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. Um, s- certain Christian formulations, of course, say that you can put yourself in a state that is receptive to grace. Well... Awesome too, so. we, yes, sure, exactly. Uh, but, you know, you can, uh, if you're a Roman Catholic, you can participate in the life of the church and the sacraments and so forth. And this is actually conducive. You know, it's like welcoming of grace that is freely given. Um, so uh, I guess and I wouldn't say it was luck. I don't think, I think most, uh, for instance, our, our Tibetan friends would say luck. Are you kidding? This is this is." This is eons of karma from practice of the the Buddha way. It's not luck, but it can look like it, you know, can look like, well, I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and you've been doing that for the last 10,000 lives. So. I a Quick question about the the, uh, formality in Japan. And I was wondering if that ability to adjust levels of formality, uh, would that come from sort of a little set of rules and regs they have? Or would it come from more of an intuitive place that uh, an experienced practitioner might have? Well, it's, uh, that's kind of one and the same thing, because the experienced practitioners are highly conversant with those rules and regulations. So they know, how to move in a way that adjusts the level of formality and doesn't uh, create a problem. Let's put it that way, you know, something like that, I guess. Cheryl, someone?
1: Oh, just with what you two
2: were just saying about grace, I'm just wondering if sitting Zazen kind of trains the mind so that you can be in the forest and receptive. In a way
0: that without training and well, practice, yeah. maybe
2: maybe that moment would be
0: missed. It's it's a practice of receptivity and acquaints one with this low level, lower levels, maybe that's one way to put it, of the body-mind. Uh, and then then our as that acquaintance grows, then our trust grows. And as our trust grows. Our receptivity grows, and there you are. Oh yes, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was Suzuki Roshi who said enlightenment's an accident, and zazen makes us accident prone. Well, uh, I heard that from Eikun Roshi, but you know, another one of those people. yes mm-hmm. our 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 ancestors. <laughs> yeah. American ancestor. American ancestor. The first American ancestor? Uh let's see. Who would be the first American ancestor? I'd have to research. I'm not exactly sure who that would be. Uh, be... Swans swans came to the lake. Swans came to the the lake. Whoever it is, he or she is probably dead now. So we're already in another generation and maybe another generation. I'm pretty I'm almost dead. 70 in another 10 days or so. And then there's another generation coming, we hope, somewhere. Um, I wanted to ask a question about um, uh, a person named Don. I don't know his last name. I was talking with an LGBT historian about the people who kind of helped to get pre-Hartford Street in place. And he talked about a fellow named Don um, who might have lived in the house somehow and now lives out in the Presidio. Do you know anything about this person? Uh, well, I'm not sure, but maybe David, Do you know, Don? I remember personally, Don Harold, who was back here in the early days. Uh, I lived here with Don Harold and uh, a few years, several years ago now. So I don't know if that's the Don that you're thinking of. Oh, I think we just lost you. Oh, there you are. It uh, was Don Harold and I can't remember any other Don offhand. I I can recall. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, he was around back in, back in the day, but beyond that, I don't remember too many details. And he was a uh, treasurer here for quite a while. Okay, well. We can stop here, and y'all can go have a nice weekend. And, uh, remember those three things: uh, uh, prana, bodhicitta, and prajna. Uh, they are they are propelling you along on your path.
1: Thank you very much.